This is Hacker Public Radio, episode 3639, for Thursday, the 14th of July, 2022. Today's show is entitled, Linux and Laws Sai. It is part of the series Linux and Laws. It is the 60th show of Monochromic, and is about 54 minutes long. It carries an explicit flag. The summary is, an interview with Chris Jenkins from Confluent. is Linux in Laws, a podcast on topics around free and open source software, any associated contraband, communism, the revolution in general, and whatever else fancies your tickle. Please note that this and other episodes may contain strong language, offensive humor, and other certainly not politically correct language. You have been warned. Our parents insisted on this disclaimer. Happy mum! Thus, the content is not suitable for consumption in the workplace, especially when played back on a speaker in an open plan office or similar environments. Any minors under the age of 35 or any pets, including fluffy little killer bunnies, your trusted guide dog, unless on speed, and cute T-Rexes or other associated dinosaurs. This is Linux in Laws, Season 1, Episode 6X. Or to use a pro- proper regular expression, um, <laughs> <laughs> season one, episode six dot square yeah. squ- exactly uh, six uh, square bracket open one dash nine square bracket close. <laughs> Martin, how are things? Yeah, things are fine. Thank you. We have a special guest tonight. So yes, but to- before we go into today's topic, I think a little bit of bashing the United <laughs> Kingdom is in order. <laughs> <laughs> I think Can they're I pretty good at that themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have an entire government dedicated. We could do to some it. Germany backing for a change. Yeah, yeah for, for right, go right ahead. And then the dodgy uh, <clears throat> gas practices and stuff like that. Yeah. What do you mean gas practices? Like we keep buying gas from other countries. Yes, yes, and and oh, not producing their showers more to the point as we discussed last time. Oh no! Here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> Martin, Martin I hope you, you, you've taken the, the showers by now. Yeah. yeah, Martin toyed with the idea of stopping by at some stage, but I think he dismissed this as a of the current situation. <laughs> Off to a great start, but this is not the shower podcast, never mind personal hygiene. So without further ado, I would like to introduce our guest, a guy called Chris Jenkins. For those three people in the audience who do not know um, Chris Jenkins, never mind Kafka. Because that is actually the episode, uh, the topic of the episode today. Chris, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, hi, hello, folks. I'm Chris Jenkins. Um, I am. Oh God, I'm a, a geek of old. I started. I got my first computer when I was seven, and I haven't looked back since. Ah, well, um, what was it? It was okay. So you. This is very locale specific, but you may remember a company called Tandy, who were Radio Absol- Shack in the states. Absolutely. Martin, and you think you or I or we are old? Apparently not. <laughs> I was seven. Come on. Okay, don't do the math. Sorry, don't do the math on that. 
<laughs> to be fair, they were um, around for quite a while still, weren't they? They were. Yeah. They were. That will only put me in a decade. Anyway, so it was, it was, I mean, it literally had like a four character, seven segment display and a microprocessor and some buttons you held down to make binary chords. Um, but it came with a good manual and you could load instruction sets onto it and it taught you how to add and subtract in binary, which to a seven year old was cool. Uh, to, the, to this seven year old. That makes, and then after that, six, that makes it in the 60s, doesn't it? Like no. IBM 360 or whatever. I mean, I think it was that technology, but by the time it got into the affordable retail hands of a seven-year-old, it was... I see. Yeah, it was probably late 80s. Let's say early 90s, so I sound younger. Let's go with that. <laughs> Fair enough. You heard <laughs> That's it how first. old I am. I've reached the age where I lie about my age. <laughs> No, 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 there's a point where you stop caring, isn't there, Chris? There's a po- you know, a lot of people will have this. There's a point at which you have to calculate it from scratch every time someone <laughs> asks. You go, okay, so I was born in 83, plus carry the one. Okay, so my age is... Yeah, so we get... So anyway, whatever age I am, because I'm not going to calculate it from scratch now. Well, you see, it used to be pocket calculators, but I think these days these things are called smartphones. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that can help. That can give you a helping hand here. But then you have to remember: is like, were you bought? Have you passed a birthday? What time of year is it? What time of day is it? Have I taken my medication this morning? <laughs> Normally, they have building calendars, though. These days, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do, do you know it's getting easier to just ask my wife? So that makes another case for a younger wife. I see. <laughs> No, I, 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 my wife is slightly older than me, and I have a rule: I do not want to be the mature one in the relationship. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> it's not going to work. Martin, take note. No, we got to scrap this. We got to end this out. <laughs> yeah, you're better off with older women. That's my feeling. <laughs> okay, Chris. After Which this is to say, yes, I'm a developer advocate at Confluence. <laughs> <laughs> you squeeze that in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was just about to ask you why we have you. It's a bit of a hobby, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, for those one for those one listener who doesn't know what Confluent is, never mind Kafka. Why don't you why don't you give why don't you give a short overview of what Kafka is and how Confluent comes into play, and then we're gonna grill you with a couple of questions, maybe not. Maybe I'll preload some questions on that. So uh, you've got Apache Kafka, which is an open source event streaming platform, or is it a is it a queue? Is it an event streaming platform? Is it a database? And that question occupies a lot of my thoughts. Like, what exactly is it? But it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic tool for building event based systems that work in real time. That's Confluent. Like... But... Yeah, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, it's, and then you've got Confluent, the company that uh, offers that service as a cloud pr- product. Simple as that, okay. Yeah. I mean, the the people in marketing are going to crucify me for simplifying it down to that, but that's basically <laughs> what we do. Right? If you want to run Kafka, but you don't want to run it yourself, you come to us. But with cloud, do you mean um, not just public cloud or, or any... Sorry, say that again. So, sorry, with, with cloud, were you uh, talking about public cloud or, or any cloud, or as, as um, everything is called cloud these days? Oh, yeah. So um, that's going to get me grinding my axe on the blockchain. 
let's not go down that road right um so uh we you come to and you can choose whether you're running it on aws or gcp or azure you know um we've got different underlying service providers but we're just one place that will get kafka running for you no no alibaba no Heroku, whatever no okay um i'd like to get it running on one of those microprocessors they've built in minecraft but i think we'll save that for q4 i see okay um Correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought that Confident would also do an enterprise version of the software. Um, you can do like licensed on premises stuff. Um, ah, that's definitely something we do. Cloud, yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you want to host it yourself but get proper support, we can do that too. That sounds very much like Mongo, Couchbase, uh, Redis, and some I... other open core company. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it is. It's like. It's not a business model that needs radical innovation. You need to just do it well, right? You need to say, here's a great product. We're working on it. It's open source. And now here's a great place for someone else to worry about running it for you. Okay. Chris, you mentioned one important fact. Apparently, <laughs> Kafka can be many things. Yeah. Um, how do how do you differentiate yourself from the likes of, say, RabbitMQ, Redis, um, what else comes to mind? And maybe even databases. databases yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so let me start with databases. Like, what's your definition of a database? That's a big question because different people have different answers um, to that. Right? Databases, yeah. Specifically, I'm referring to NoSQL databases, and Martin will correct me, if, uh, of course, in a minute because I'm, I'm getting, normally I'm getting it quite wrong. But databases, especially NoSQL databases, are the stuff that hipster um, folk do <laughs> into the app stack <laughs> who hang yeah. out in, in coffee shops all day long and program in Rusk and, and, and Python and other cool languages and are worried about the next big thing. In terms of they need some fancy persistent layer that is close enough to the data models that the application use or that the applications use that they do. And they don't have, and they don't want to use a, a, a non-semantical file system. Let's put it this way. Oh, now I've got to decide whether I want to alienate the hipsters or the more traditional programmers. Uh, I'm a unifier. I'm going to try and bridge. Martin Martin does it all the time, so don't worry about it. Yeah, Yeah, okay. We we, we don't make friends here. (laughs) No, (laughs) we only alienate people. Exactly. (laughs) I'm a bridge builder. What can I say? I I, I welcome all hipsters and traditional programmers. Um, So it's, um, it's, if you start with the idea of you know how you know how most databases these days when they do replication they have a replication log right mm-hmm. so uh, postgres is about to update a table it writes what it's going to do to a log and then updates the table martin is and- that correct Sorry, Martin. It's a great database. Yeah, martin martin is our post is our resident postgres uh, postgres expert I'm feeling tested. This is suddenly like a job interview where two people are interviewing me. <laughs> Martin, what did what did give it away? I wonder. <laughs> I don't even know what job I'm interviewing for. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. No, oh, no man. harm done. I hope. Go ahead. Right, the stakes have changed. Okay, I need to bring my A game. <laughs> right, but so so you've got this idea that uh, you know you could see Postgres in a different way, and you could say its first job is to write to this append-only log of stuff it's going to do, and then its second job is to do it. And then when you want to have a backup database, you just ship this append-only log as fast as you can 
And because it's a append only, it doesn't actually matter if you get behind because you can always catch up. Nothing's changed. Right. So you ship that off to another machine and then that machine replays that log of events and it's able to reconstruct a relational database just from that log of what it was going to do. Right. So if you take yeah, that big idea and say, why don't we start with that? If if we've got this append only log, which actually works great for high availability and replication. And you can, if you want to, you can build up a whole relational database on it. Why don't we start there, make that append-only log really good, and see what happens? And that's conceptually a way to see Kafka, right? It's a system for recording facts of what happens and then replaying over that list of facts in an interesting way. Which is very, that's very abstract. Let me try and pin that back down. So you've got a company and people are buying stuff. And every time someone buys something, you just record an event on this append-only log. They bought the X, they bought Y, somebody else bought Z, right? And you just record that. And then someone comes along and says, what are our sales this month? Well, they build their state machine, which maybe looks a bit like a mini relational database and just runs over that log of events and comes up with the answer of what we've sold, right? Meanwhile, someone else wants to know activity by continent, right? So somebody else runs their different state machine over the exact same uh, list of events and they end up with, uh, we got 30,000 clicks from Europe this quarter, right? So you're rolling different state machines that might be as complex as a relational database, might be as simple as a as a rolling sum over this stream of recorded facts. And that's the fundamental idea of event-driven architectures. Record what happened, process it later. And then you get into this really interesting territory where you because it's con just like in the replicated database it's constantly this state machine that's expecting new facts to come in you very easily pop out uh, a summary that not only captures all those facts but reacts to new facts in real time updating the running total of what we sold the running analytics of where people have been clicking around the world okay yeah no just good that's clearly the definition of the event streaming, <laughs> um, uh, what do you call it, uh, paradigm or something like that. But yes. um, so yeah. I mean, it's a big thing, and right, that's um, that's I've tried to cram in what Kafka is and what event streaming is in, in one answer, but they're very intimately related, and that's what separates it from something like RabbitMQ, where you put a fact on the queue, and by the time it gets to the front, it's processed, and then maybe it's thrown away. Well, yes and no, but we'll come to that. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, by all means, just go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to just pick up on one other thing. Um, you mentioned the replication log or, or write-ahead log, as it's called in Postgres, but mm. um, uh, for database replication, you, this can also happen synchronously, right? So it doesn't have to, um, it can wait for the acknowledgement to uh, that the other side has processed this as well. So it's, you, uh, you, I think you described an asynchronous approach to replication, but uh, most a lot of databases also have synchronous replication. Yeah, okay. and and the Kafka does. You can like mm. you can you can say this thing isn't written until it's been written to three replicas, for instance. Yep. 
So I, would, I think we probably uh, do. We <laughs> do we want to go to debate with the event streaming um, approach versus the, let's say, the, the current state approach in a database? Um, we could discuss that for a bit. Like. Yeah, we have another two hours, so just go right ahead. <laughs> no I worries. Was thinking this as well. Your editor um, must love you guys. He does, he does. <laughs> Indeed. Post-production is our, our, our favorite uh, department. For, Forty, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry. Okay, let's... let's uh, I mean, you mentioned RabbitMQ. You, you described the, the messaging uh, part of RabbitMQ. I, I don't know if you're familiar with the latest developments, but it has. I mean, there's a little update on Rabbit, yeah. Okay, well, so, so uh, Rabbit just introduced streaming data as well, uh, just like Redis has um, uh, a couple of years ago, three years ago, come what it is now. So th th there's definitely a um, uh, a need for uh, streaming data, append-only data, whatever you want to call it, right in in data stores. Um, so, so as you can see from from the likes of Redis and, and Rabbit adding those as well, and I guess uh, Kafka is really the front runner there by um, implementing that. Yeah, the event streaming uh, paradigm in the first place. Um, it's really early to the market on that. Yeah. So, so the argument that uh, you you get with um, uh, with customers is then why do I not just land my data in a database, run a query over it, and um, instead of doing a um, having to roll up through uh, you know however many events I have to find what I need to know, right? Um, so you could argue that there is every time you uh, ask the same, let's say, okay, uh, I want to ask the sales for uh, my current state of the number of sales. I need to go back every time to calculate over my event stream what is the current state of sales, right? Which means picking out all those um, transactions in my event log, whereas in a, uh, in a database table that would be a current state, kind of, you know, this is the amount of sales um, that have happened so far. I think I think there are kind of two answers to that. The first is um, first is you don't. You, I think that's more likely to happen in a relational database, right? Say, say you're recording True. purchases. True. Yep. You've 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 got to re whether you're using event systems or relational databases, you are yeah. going to record every single per purchase. And then what you get in often in a in a relational database, you say, okay, I want to know the sales totals. And that starts out being a really fast real-time query because you're a brand new business with not many sales. And by year five, it's a full table scan that's running over every possible sale and taking ages. And you and I've been in companies like that, and you work to make it faster. You maybe just reproduce, you put an index on time, and you just have the last 24 hours of sales. And then there's a batch for the longer stuff. But you end up trying, rolling over that large set of facts you had to record. Whereas in an event streaming database, it's kind of like that replication maintaining the state over the log. So you run your state machine over each new sale and you end up with a running total. And when the next event, the next sale comes in, you don't rerun over every single event that ever happened. You just add that total in. So it's a it's an order one operation for each new fact, um, and people who worked on Kafka have put a lot of effort into making sure that the sensible set of operations you can do with it is also the very fast set of things to update in real time. 
welcome to the complexity podcast. Before <laughs> this turns even more into yeah, the database podcast. Let's invent a big O notation again. <laughs> let's, let's, the moment this turned into a job interview, I had to bring in big O notation. That's, that's a requirement. Yeah, thank you. HR will sort out the package, don't worry. <laughs> Uh, changing do we have tag. HR? <laughs> you, you, <laughs> I, unless you fired them, Martin. Yes, we do have <laughs> HR. It's changing tax just slightly. You mentioned mm. scalability here and real yeah. time. I get the scalability bit because the whole thing is written in Java. What I don't get is the real time aspect because it is written in Java. <laughs> so, um, Apparently. Fundamentally. So uh, well, then we've got to get into the discussion of we're talking about hard real-time or soft real-time, right? Soft real-time means next year and hard real-time means now, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think soft real-time is the real-time you can argue about whether it's real-time enough. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Whereas hard real-time is like, here's a picture. Tell me if it contains a stop sign on a traffic light that's red. And you've got 50 milliseconds to answer that question. And if you don't answer it in 50 milliseconds, your answer is useless because I'll have a new picture by then. Or you're dead or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So hard real time is like, if you cannot answer the question by now, then your 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 value is useless to me. Go away. And so, uh, Kafka yes. is definitely a soft real time system. It's like as fast as possible and being faster than batch is very useful, but there's no drop dead date. The way I understand it, because if you take a look at the architecture, you do a lot of persistence on disks and stuff. Mm. But appending, so random access rights to a file, you could argue is expensive. Appending to an existing pointer is one of the cheapest things the kernel can do, right? That depends on the implementation in the in the underlying operating system, I suppose. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that if your database's primary operation is appending to an existing file that's already open, that's pretty cheap. That's not gonna be a bottleneck. Mm. I mean most file systems would support journaling and that plays right into into that game, for example. Mm. Yeah. I mean however you slice it, append it's you get into more problems with file systems when you are trying to do competing mutation of blocks i would say and kafka mm. does not do that okay and that's that again comes back to this how do we do data replication with relational databases things because i years ago i worked in a company where they had a system that replicated at a hot standby oracle database that worked on replicating individual blocks on disk and I swear that hot standby system caused more downtime than actual downtime in the system. You know, the, the, the database went down more often because of trying to keep a hot standby going than anything else. If replicating individual blocks on disk doesn't work. No, understood. But how do you see yourself against hard real-time systems, like of Redis, for example? Um, you now you're going to have to tell me more about Redis because I haven't really used Redis. How is it's, it a hard real-time system? It's a key-value store that does all its processing in memory, hence this hard real-time fact. Okay. Martin, correct me if I'm wrong. You joined after me, but you left before. <laughs> I leave, or I left, or whatever. It's it's um, 
memory first, isn't it? There are obviously yes. Options for Persistence is optional, but 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 Whereas, um, yeah. yes, persistence <clears throat> is optional. Yeah, exactly. But the, who, who but needs the... persistence? <laughs> Exactly. No, I mean the, the idea could, could be Venice's slogan. <laughs> the idea is, and 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 Salvatore, if you're listening, the email address is sponsor at linuxinlaws.eu. But never mind. Hey, no, the idea you, behind that you is, can't you can't solicit for sponsorship during my job interview. <laughs> well, we well actually we can because we own the podcast. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Wow, well, health rules are really hard. <laughs> yes, indeed. Sorry about this. Okay, no jokes yeah. aside. No, the thing is. Basically, when Salvatore San Filippo designed Redis about 12 years ago, maybe something like this, he had this rule, he had this notion in mind that that each and every data is actually kept in memory, every piece of data, rather, mm-hmm. and that all the processing would be done in memory, hence this kind of real-time notion of Redis. Some people call it an in-memory data grid, and yeah. I think they have a point, where if I take a look at Kafka, the architecture is different. Yeah, it's it's more designed. I mean, so if you think about its origins, it's come out of the early days of LinkedIn when they're trying to deal with a tidal wave of incoming data that they want to process as fast as possible. That was and, before Microsoft acquired the company or after? Uh, I think it was before. Don't quote me on that, but I think it was before and the people who were working on it spun out into, some of the people who were working on it spun out into Confluent before the Microsoft acquisition. Uh, LinkedIn provided the first couple of VC funding rounds, right? Or at least one of them, anyway. Ooh, that you'll uh, you'll have to. I'll transfer you to our business department, who will happily answer financial questions. Yeah, we, exactly. We're going to do the next episode with them. Don't worry. So Perhaps just send us the contact details. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> I, I think Confluence financial people would love the tone of this show. They'd be well up for it. <laughs> no worries. Okay, getting back to my original question now. Sorry. Yeah, but so so they're dealing with this floodgate of incoming data, and and now you've got this system which is capable of processing comfortably like two million events a second coming in to a cluster of nodes, which is a very different, I think, different use case of this tsunami of data coming in that maybe a key value store would be ideally suited to. I mean, Martin already mentioned this, but Redis introduced the notion of streams about seven years ago, maybe yeah, six. Okay. Yes. So the idea is basically to have something, I wouldn't say similar to Kafka, but something remotely resembling scalable, a scalable message bus, but in memory. So you have consumer groups, you have timestamps and, and, and all the rest of it. Mm. So on the technical level, it doesn't seem to be too far off of something called Kafka. Yeah, I can see that. I think this, that sort of brings um, the other thing I was going to mention when we were talking about um, rolling up this long stream of facts, right? The other thing is one thing we concern ourselves with is you persist this log of, I don't know, sales transactions for five years and it still stays fast because a new purchase come is just a big o notation order one operation rolling on your sales total but then and this is a big part of it then the auditors come in your accountants come in and they say we need to roll over your entire history of purchases 
for a legal taxation reason, for instance. And then you've got, to, then you're concerning yourself with, okay, so now we do need to reprocess all that data, but we have all that data. We captured all those facts. They've been persistent um, in one form of long-term storage or another. So we can reprocess that entire history for a different use case. Capturing things in a way that you can maintain, efficiently maintain the current state and maintain how you got there because you never know how you're going to have to reprocess that data in the future. Mm. You know, marketing comes in with a different historical requirement. You hire some new analytics people, have some new ideas about how we could plug that data into Facebook to optimize our adverts, things like that, right? That's when you want to be able to reprocess the historical stream as easily as you are dealing with the current stream. Interesting. And of course, once the auditors come in, if you just run a resistance without persistence, never mind streams or not, and that instance then crashes and persistence isn't there, you're pretty much screwed. Yeah. I get yeah. that angle, yes. It's quite fun. Like um, you, you see this um, playing out in things like the idea of data mesh, where people are taking this persistent log of events and using it for their own purposes, but then making it read-only available to other teams, and they find new use cases for the same stream of events that you weren't even thinking of if you make that data persistent and available. Yeah, I wanted to... Um, uh pick up on one thing that we often hear about Kafka, which is the, the zookeeper scenario. And there was a, mm. um, uh, <clears throat> a pull request or um, a plan to remove this. Uh, how is that going? It's going quite well, actually. Um, I was at uh, the Kafka Summit in London a couple of weeks ago, and there was a talk about how it's going. So let me see how well okay. I can reconstruct that talk. <laughs> um, they, uh, summarizing, check the release notes for details, they um, have have done the work to replace um, Zookeeper with something called K-Raft, Rafting Kafka, which use, interestingly uses Kafka as its persistent state store. Um so it's all native Kafka, throwaway Zookeeper, and have that kind of load-balancing leader election protocol baked in. It's working. It's in beta. I think I got the impression that the main thing stopping it being general, like put this in production availability, was tooling around it. You know, there, there, are some, there are some tooling issues that they want to iron out before they say you should go into production with this. But the core of it's I'm there. Just wondering, just wondering, Chris, what's wrong with Zookeeper? It takes about five minutes to install if you have the right operating system, and only with two days to configure correctly, and then you <laughs> add another day to get the cluster configuration right. So, what's wrong with that? I think, I think one thing people are going to miss is the joy of running two completely separate and complex services just to get one running. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a whole market of people that like to compile their own kernels that will miss Zookeeper. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in the ab but leaving those to one side, fewer moving parts is better, I think. I get the notion and I reckon this has been one one of the most I wouldn't say criticisms in the past of of Kafka, but certainly quite a few people that I've met weren't too happy with the with the fact that actually Zookeeper, Zookeeper is a prereq. 
for this for this whole architecture. I think there's a lot of sympathy internally for we're all looking forward to the day when that's no longer a requirement. Um, it was definitely, if you, again, if you go back to the millions of years ago in internet years in what 2013, 2014, it probably was the right choice they made at the time for um, getting a reliable leader election system up and running. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure the smart move in those early days would have been to roll their own version of craft when they had other things to get going. So I think mm. Zookeeper was a good choice. And it's a good choice now to retire it and make it built in. And like all software projects, do we wish it had gone into production last year? Of course we do. Interesting perspective. So people, you heard here first, <laughs> the next version of Kafka will be, will be without Zookeeper, maybe. <laughs> are, you, are you signing that in my blood? <laughs> uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> and, no, I, and no, this is not part of the evaluation pro, uh, process of the interview, so don't worry. Oh, about okay. okay. Uh, jokes what? aside, where do you see Kafka going now that we've tackled the major technical bits? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we're going to see... I think there's um, there's a big push generally towards real-time systems. Um, I think if you think of the number of companies that are still running on batch systems, there is a huge market for just solving those, right? For just going from you get your reports overnight or at the end of the week to you can see live data and everyone in the, everyone in the business can see the live data they're interested in, you know? I would like to see marketing people getting live analytics dashboards that are bespoke to the company while the salespeople get live sales figures by region, while I as a developer get live usage statistics for different parts, different features of the system. And getting those live and not ad hoc in batch, but everybody can see it right now. I think that that market is just so huge. I can't imagine when we'll get to the end of that task. Interesting, but wouldn't that mean turning some of the aspects from soft to hard real time in certain no. in certain areas? No, I, I don't think so. I think, I mean, I think hard real time is not quite something we're doing. We're, I, I, so I host our podcast uh, on which I will interview you sometime and grill you if you like. By all um, means. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we had someone we had someone on who was uh, dealing with like data coming in from shops around the country right um and he was apologizing half apologizing that they were getting data in seconds now to me that's real time to a hard real time robotics engineer it's probably not but to me seconds instead of end of the week is a complete revolution right I get that notion, but if marketing screams at you because the conversion isn't going quite well, because some middle tier is choking the website because because a million users are just hitting the website, these requests then basically are poured into a middleware system and that doesn't act fast enough. In that case, soft real-time pretty much quickly it turns into hard real-time because, okay, we're not talking about li lives being on the line, but rather cash being lost in terms of revenue not being able to, rec to be recognized. Yeah, I think, I mean, so to go back to that example, we've, there are systems out there doing like 
two million events a second. Um, if you've got so many customers that you're breaking those kinds of limits, you've got really interesting problems we'd like to help with. But that's a lot of capacity for dealing with real time when you're contrasting it with the actual reality on the ground at the moment, which is people getting hourly reports at best. Mm. And that's and degrading from there when things are busy. Uh, by the way, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not making this up because the previous marketing department, before Martin fired it once again, <laughs> exactly had this problem. <laughs> of course, I'm joking. <laughs> I mean, it's a nice problem to have. I years ago, I used to work uh, a startup I co-founded, and a colleague of mine was always worrying about what happens if we get ten times as many customers which is a question I respected, but wanted that problem, right? That'd be great. We're a startup. No one knows we exist. If we can get 10 times as many customers, I will gladly stay up late dealing with that problem. How does the uh, the, the open source project itself um, operate? Let's put it that way. Uh, obviously, there's lots of different models in, in, in open source projects. I'm uh, just curious if you could shed a few words on um, me. So um, it's it's fairly, as I gather, it's a fairly standard kind of Apache-ish structure. We have PMCs um, who, well, no, sorry, take that back. We don't have PMCs. Apache Kafka has PMCs who oversee the project. Um, some of them work for Confluent. Some of them work for Red Hat. Uh, some of them work for other companies I can't name off the top of my head. But they're like any Apache project. They're kind of maybe sponsored independent people building this thing. Um, anyone can become a committer. Anyone can open a PR. Anyone can submit stuff. They are actively soliciting new committers. And if you're a committer for a certain number of months, maybe pushing on to years, and you want to be one of the PMCs, you can become so. There's um, a feature request or design suggestion process called uh, the Kafka Improvement Process, or KIP, where you can suggest something, prototype it, say we should do this as part of the project, get assigned a unique KIP number. Um, and on it goes, and it's been very successful. And then Cat Confluence's role in that is we're actively engaged in it. Um, sometimes we... Um, create features that are part of the cloud product that we then roll back, that we then try and get committed back into the open source project. Um, what else can I tell you about it? Uh, if you, there was a nice talk which will be going on YouTube soonish at the Kafka Summit recently, talking about how you can become an open source contributor to Kafka, uh, and it actually didn't seem too scary, honestly. Okay. So, so as the overall kind of uh, project committee, is, is there such a thing? Um, you know, I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with the Postgres model, but they have um, like a, a committee of five, uh, or they used to, I think it's a bit more now, but there's never, you know, one company or um, controlling the majority and all that kind of stuff. So is this something that um, the Kafka model, I mean, it has a bit of a... Uh, is is it not just confluent control? Oh no, it's absolutely not just confluent. Um, it's it's individuals who have been working on Kafka for years. In most cases, some of them are 
paid by their company to free up their time so they can contribute it. Some are independent. Um, I mean, like f- working on it entirely financially independently. Um, but yeah, basically it's an open source project with lots of people putting their time and effort in. And then Kafka, uh, sorry, Confluent having a lot of the original builders of Kafka is actively supporting that where it can. It's not unlike other open source yes. projects being backed by a company that, well, <laughs> Redis, of course, comes to mind, but other companies exactly work the same way. Yeah, and it's, it's, kind of, mistaken. it's kind of tricky because you, I mean, I as a developer want the open source project to remain independent. Um, and I think Kafka has has that, I'm sure Kafka has that independence and it, it guards it fiercely, and which I totally respect. Um, at the same time, you do want these big open source projects to survive on more than goodwill and developers working in their spare time. So every time a company like, I don't know, Red Hat contributes, puts cash on the line to make sure someone has the time to do it, I think that's a good thing, as long as those conflicts of interest are policed. Right. You mentioned the Apache Software Foundation. You are licensed under an Apache license, if I'm compl- if not completely mistaken. Um, so I believe so, and uh, I'm not a lawyer. Um, there are so there's Apache Kafka Core. Check this with someone who who is a lawyer. But Apache Kafka is an open source project, I believe, under the Apache license. Um, then Confluent has built some features that you can uh, also use that complement poor open source Kafka well, and they're under a Confluent community license. Uh, And then there's some proprietary stuff that's just in the cloud product. And there's a lot of kind of reintegration along that stream from Confluent trying to get useful features back into the open source project. So depending on which part of it you want to use, there's probably an open source license for you. You left the incubator status. Sorry, for those people who do not know, Apache projects are classified in certain categories. Stages, yeah. Stages. Thank you very much, Martin. <laughs> and incubator, an incubator project is basically something that is just, it's just budding. But I reckon Kafka left this about what? Six, seven years ago? Um, I am trying to Google. Uh, I'm, I'm literally Googling this now because I don't have those dates mm. in my head. It entered incubation in 2011 and graduated October 2012, apparently. Wow. Okay, so 10 years almost. Okay, yeah, wow. So. What's that in dog years? Long time. Long time, exactly. Oh. And now the status is... Oh, there's another, there's another status, Martin. You, you, you are Apache. You are a resident Apache pro, um, um, expert, no? I thought it was graduated or something. No, they, I think <laughs> no, no, I'm not the resident I'm, Apache. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you're the licensed guy. It's <laughs> probably the other Martin then. <laughs> no joke. There are a lot more legal questions in this job interview than did, I expected. Did you not get the right specs? <laughs> 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 Martin, did you send out the, jo- the wrong job description once again? <laughs> wow. I've got to do legal. I've got to yeah. do sales and marketing. I've... I think Can the post-production probably also has an opening. <laughs> <laughs> 
no joke aside, it doesn't really that matter. It doesn't really matter that much. But I thought it's, it would be interesting to see from 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 the open source perspective where the foundation wants to take this in terms of where the committee that is, I reckon, backed by the Apache Foundation, completely correct me if I'm wrong, is headed. Um, I. I wouldn't like to speak for that, except I know that um, getting rid of Zookeeper is a big priority. Okay. Um, I know that's a headline change that's coming in. Uh, one thing a colleague of mine, Danica Fine, does is she has a regular um, podcast announcing what changes have been made. So if you search for Confluent Danica Fine, I'm sure you'll find she does a great job of bringing um, what release notes to life because those can be pretty dry. Excellent. Um, if you want to keep up with the release notes, catch her. We will do. And with that, I think we are almost done, Martin, no? Did I get the job? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> HR <laughs> will be in touch. <laughs> <laughs> but, be, but before, but before HR can make an offer. <laughs> <laughs> but before HR can make an offer, there's, of course, the boxes to discuss. But, um, um, so <laughs> let's do, explain let's, the concept first. <laughs> exactly, Martin. Why don't you? Why don't you explain the concept? Uh, are we just doing poxes or also antipoxes? Uh, we're just well. Actually, we can do antipoxes too, mm-hmm. if we have okay. time. Yeah. So, so uh, in in short, um, uh, every every recording we do a uh, pick of the the week or the choice of something that stood out uh, of interest to you. Whether it's a book. Uh, television article anything else that you uh, want oh, to found memorable um and it could also be an antipox as in you know uh, microsoft have done something wrong again for example stuff like that um, um hmm. do you know i'm gonna go for a wild card because it's honestly burning in my heart now have you heard of a game <laughs> called monster hunter not myself but why don't you okay. explain it to us <laughs> It is. It's completely ridiculous. It was one of these things that was a Japanese phenomenon for years and finally broke into the West. And if you've heard of Capcom, you probably have. Mm. Um, The people who make like Mega Man, Street Fighter and all that stuff. It became their best selling game of all time a couple of years back. And it works like this. You live in a land of dinosaurs. You pick up a weapon and you beat the dinosaur to death. And then you use the dinosaur parts to make a slightly larger weapon and go and beat a slightly larger dinosaur to death. Family friendly game. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. And, and the, there's a plot and it's completely paper thin. It's just an excuse to hurt dinosaurs, but it is honestly <laughs> one of the most fun games I've ever played. And I'm a bit obsessed with it at the moment. Okay. Interesting. Martin, what's your pox? Uh, I don't have one this week. Um, you don't? Did you, have no, an anti- did you have an anti-pox, at least? Uh, no, no, not nothing nothing unusual. Not, I mean, not, I even, think, Zuka, I think, not even Zuka. Not I even Zuka. I haven't. Um, okay. Well, hmm, actually, no, I have had to use Zookeeper most recently as well, unfortunately. But, uh, <laughs> there you go. That's your anti-pox. <laughs> Uh, okay. Yes, definitely. Sounds good. Okay, cool. <laughs> you want to go into a little bit of detail, or should we skip that? No, let's let's not bore the listeners with with Zookeeper. It's uh, okay. it's, 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 it's history anyway, right? So it's we're, we're moving on. We're moving on. Yeah, yeah, okay. moving on from okay, Zookeeper. Cool, cool, cool. cool. Um, 
my pox of the week would be a TV series. I think season out, season one is out now. And season, sorry, season one, season two is out now and season three is just gonna appear on Netflix. I may be wrong about the, about the season numbering. It's called Love, Death and Robots. Don't know. <gasps> yeah. Yes. Yeah, I've watched seasons one and two. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I, I got the numbering right. Yes. <laughs> um, Chris, why don't you explain why this is a great show? Um, so because it's... I may be biased. <laughs> Okay, uh, so it's um, it's kind of sci-fi anthology series animated, um, and it's just a series of self-contained stories about the future. Maybe some cyberpunk stuff, robots. They're usually very funny. Sometimes they're very weird. They're always interesting, and they are about fifteen minutes long. So I tend to consume them. I dispatch consume them on train journeys and plane journeys. That's my binge snack watching. I couldn't have put it better. Just to add to this, I've just <laughs> discovered that recently and the writing alone of these episodes, because the devil is of course in the details, but the, but the crafting of the, of the, of the episodes is just, is just awesome. Let's put it this way. Whenever it I watch an episode, like, and, yeah, some, and, something that you would enjoy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have yet to see an episode that is not well written. Let's put it this way. It's, it reminds me, but I, I, I've I've watched, I'm thinking all of the episodes uh, of the of the two seasons so far, and all of the epi- most of the episodes reminds me remind me of a well crafted, as an excellent short story. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, because what, yeah, sorry, go ahead. And one thing I'd say is if you're if you're listening and interested to pick it up, um, don't watch them in order. You don't need to. Just look at the exactly, descriptions, yes. find one that takes your fancy, and that's the way in. Yes, they are all. Yeah, they're they're not interrelated. There's no storyline. It's just short stories in an animated fashion. Mm-hmm. But before we close off the show, Martin, there's a little bit of feedback that we should go oh, through. Yes, there go is, through. There is. Um, should I read this and then you comment? Yeah, or should, you go or first, should we do that one? Okay. Yeah. Yes, it's by Sabagru and it's on the Unix philosophy. Your understanding of the Unix philosophy is missing what any, what many consider its most important caveat. Then a Wikipedia follows by the describing or outlining the Unix, the Unix philosophy details. Maybe, maybe in the show notes. As summarized by Salus, and I reckon that's in the Wikipedia article, the Unix is a collection of programs that each do one thing only and do it well. System D is a grab bag of lots of functionality and does not do any of them particularly well, hence why people say that System D is not the Unix philosophy. I agree that the old style in the system had a lot of issues and needs to be replaced. However, I do not agree that System D is the solution. I would have preferred a properly designed, layered, and modular in its system instead of the all-in-one solution of System D i.e. bare metal server used to run containers would have the same root level module but different application specific modules as the as a GUI based tablet. System D was designed for GUI based systems. I do not necessarily concur, as this is overkill inappropriate for backend ser- service running Docker. Anyways department. Another good show and stop setting yourself short, Martin. Take note. I think you are up to a double digit number of listeners by now. I think we've surpassed that. <laughs> Martin, you want to comment on this? Uh, it's, it's yeah, I mean um, System D has its place. It, it does things reasonably well. Uh, other things that 
most people don't use it for, you probably want to avoid. Um, and yeah, fine, there is a Linux philosophy, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, my philosophy is always as long as it works, then I'm happy. Philosophy number one. Is, yeah. Fair enough. If, if it works, don't break it. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, it's. I think I, just my two cents, very very shortly on this. Uh, I think I, re, I I explained that in the episode already. You you Sabagru, some of the of the arguments is uh, some of the argumentation is valid, yes. But at the end of the day, it's still that little kind of Swiss Army knife in terms of independent code bases modules that basically make up a system. And if you take a look, and this is of course totally biased, what I'm just going to say now. The, the amount of innovation that Systemd has brought to the table in terms of Linux over the last 10 years, maybe less, has yet to be matched by a low-level system component in a system called Linux. But that's, but that's, but this is just my, my, my personal opinion. Needless to say, there are some caveats. For example, GNOME is relying more and more on Systemd. And this is something that I do not like about this architecture. But this is just my, personal two cent. Any thoughts on system D, Chris? No, that's way too controversial for me. I'm going to go with something. I'm going to talk about a safe topic like blockchain. (laughs) So we must invite you again. Chris, it has been wonderful to have you on the show. This has been a great pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. And do expect the invite on blockchain topics on for another show anytime soon. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Let's We can chew through the world on that. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. This is the Linux In-Laws. You come for the knowledge. But stay for the madness. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening. This podcast is licensed under the latest version of the Creative Commons license. Type attribution share alike. Credits for the intro music go to Blue Sea Roosters for the song Salute Margaret to Twin Flames for their piece called The Flow, used for the segment intros, and finally to Celestial Ground for their song Sweet Justice, used by the Dark Side. you find these and other ditties licensed under CC at Chimando, a website dedicated to liberate the music industry from choking copyright legislation and other crap concepts. <laughs> No, which episodes did you listen to? Um, the one that sticks in mind is Rust. I was listening to the Rust episode. Uh, that it, that boils it down to about fifty percent of the episode. Chris, there's more we, we than one of a a here. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. <laughs> been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. Today's show was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hosting for HBR has been kindly provided by an 
honesthost.com, the Internet Archive, and rsync.net. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License.